Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see you here today. Glad you could join us. I'm excited for next week. As we mentioned, we are uh, tentatively planning to officially reopen our building next Sunday. It's going to be an exciting day. We're reopening. It's Father's Day. I'm a father. Pastor Mel just said I'm going to cross my two-year mark of being your pastor. That's exciting for me. I don't know what that is for you. It may be a, a good thing or a bad thing, but I hope it's a good thing. Anyways, it's going to be an exciting Sunday next next Sunday. I hope you would join us for that. And we will, Lord willing, also start a new series. Uh, if you remember, we've been looking at the classics of the Old Testament, looking at several of the old characters and looking at them through the lens of the New Testament. And then we sort of started a mini-series that we didn't really plan on, but we've been looking at truth versus vanity, or we called it vanity versus verity. And that's what we want to continue and finish today is our mini-series on vanity versus verity as we look at the treasure of wisdom, the treasure of wisdom. Before we get to it, did you ever do something that would be considered not wise? Or you could use the word stupid. When I was considering an illustration to start this morning, I, I, found a hard, I found it hard to think of a stupid time in my life. And the reason is, is because there's so many. I had quite the, I had quite the cachet to choose from, but... Uh, I chose this one. I don't know what your favorite holiday is. Anyone want to shout it out? What's your favorite holiday of the year? Favorite holiday? Halloween. Christmas, Halloween. Really? Halloween? Anyone else? What's that? Birthday. Birthday. Yeah. <laughs> That's an official holiday, is it? Well, my, what's that? Flag day. Flag day. Is that today? Yeah. So this is your favorite holiday. <laughs> I don't know what your favorite holiday is. My holiday actually doesn't exist on the calendar. Well, it kind of does. My favorite holiday is the beginning of fall. First day of fall. Who's with me on that one? Yeah, I know it's summer, so I'm like poo-pooing on summer, and I don't mean to. We got a couple people who love fall. It's not an official holiday, but it is marked on the calendar, and fall is one of those relative days where you're not sure when it begins. Some people think as soon as it turns from August to September, that's the first day of fall, right? Anybody think it's that day that you just turn over to the day school starts? We know there's an official day of fall. I don't know if it's the 21st, 22nd, 23rd of September. It's somewhere along those lines, but my first official day of fall is much later than that, actually. My first official day of fall lines up with the exact time that we can take the air conditioners out of our house and store them away for summer, now, or store them away for winter. Now, that day, actually, last year fell on, like, early November. It was sort of seasonally warm in October, and I don't like that. I like when the, ch when the, when the chill comes back and the cool weather returns, and so... My favorite holiday is the day that we can remove the air conditioners from our house because we can open the windows and the chill comes in, and I like that. Well, last year, like I said, it, it started on early November. We were able to look at the calendar, look at the weather, and go, okay, fall's here. It's official. We can take the air conditioners out of our house. And we had four window air conditioners in the three bedrooms, and then we had one in the living room, and we were going to do those one at a time. And I remember thinking briefly, very briefly, I need to be careful because right before that, I had sort of a sore back. And I remember thinking, you know, those things are heavy and cumbersome. I need to be careful how I take those air conditioners out, how I carry them down and set them down on the floor because we were going to store them in our laundry room in the bottom part of our house. And so I remember thinking, just be careful. Lift, you know, they told you to lift with your legs and bend your legs when you're setting things down. And I wish I would have thought about that a lot longer um, because... We started taking these air conditioners out one by one, and Janine was helping me. She'd get it out, hand it to me. I'd walk it down the stairs to the laundry room, and I'd set them down. And we did three of them, three of the four. And I don't remember the, my back seizing up on me or anything like that, but I remember it being a little ginger. And I think I forgot. I think I forgot to bend with your legs. 
So I was just taking the air conditioner from my chest, bending all the way down and putting it right on the ground, right? Which everybody's going, that, that's stupid. And I know that now because <laughs> 12 hours later in the morning, I woke up in the morning and I was just playing with my kids and my daughter Evangeline, who is the lightest of our children, was just playing the game with me. Daddy tried to catch me and I was chasing her and I went to pick her up and my back seized on me. And maybe you guys remember that. It just, I, I couldn't move. And it was so painful. And I needed help walking. That's how painful my back was. I couldn't even get from one room to the next to even lie down. Janine had to come along and assist me walking. And that started an eight-week injury of not being able to use my back. And it was horrible. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I remember thinking while I was laying down, because you have a lot of time to think when you're laying down, I remember thinking how dumb that was of what I did with those air conditioners. I should have bent properly, should have had someone assist me doing it. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, when the official first day of fall comes up again, I'm going to be a different guy. I'm going to do that differently. And if I don't, you guys say whatever you want to me. Because that's going to be stupid. First day of fall, you ready? So I don't know if you've ever done something that you would consider not wise or maybe even stupid. We're going to look at wisdom today. Wisdom is our topic today. We're going to call it the treasure of wisdom. And we are going to jump around a little today, and I don't normally do that, but if you have your Bibles, have them handy. We're going to jump around a little bit in the book of James and Proverbs, two of the greatest books that talk about wisdom. But we have to start with this when we talk about wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? As I see in Scripture and even in, in the world, there's two kinds of wisdom. Okay, The first kind is worldly wisdom. People that are smart in the world, according to the world. And then there's heavenly wisdom, or we're going to call it godly wisdom. Godly wisdom which comes from God. You can either be wise in the world, or you can be wise according to God. And those are the two kinds of wisdom that we want to look at today. One is obviously greater than the other. I don't know if you guys have ever got one of those phone calls before um, of people offering you one of the greatest deals of your life. Lately, I've been getting a lot of calls on my church phone about my car warranty having expired and uh, it needs to be renewed. A, how did they catch my phone, my church number? And B, how are they offering me a warranty for a 2008 town and country? That's a pretty impressive warranty. Um, but you can tell when you get those kind of phone calls that it's a scam, right? It's a scam. But some, some scams are better than other scams. And recently, I sort of fell for one of those scams. I, I got one of those, I think it was an email... And it said, hey, if you sign up right now, if you do this right now, you're going to get something really cool free. And if you want a story, I could share a story with you. I don't have the time to share it, but it's, it's a pretty impressive scam. If you guys want that story, come and talk to me. But I kind of fell hook, line, and sinker for this scam because it sounded legitimate. And that's the, por- that's the part of scams that makes it a scam is it sounds legitimate and tries to get you, get your credit card number. And Here's the point of the scam, okay? Scam is to trick us into thinking that something foolish is wise. I mean, that's the point of a scam. Here's something wise. We want you to think it's wise, but it's actually great foolishness. That's the point of a scam. Scam artists, they want to make it look legitimate and wise that you're missing out if you don't take a part of this. And we want to talk about wisdom because there's two kinds of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And godly wisdom is the only one that children of God want. It's the only one that Christians want. Everyone else wants to be worldly wise. Well, let's look at worldly wisdom first. Worldly wisdom is based on what man can understand 
with his five senses. Okay, it's wisdom from the world based on the five senses that we have. It's, as worth, it's worth as much as the world is, and it extends as far as the world does. If you get worldly wisdom, you can accomplish a lot in this world. You can. You can accomplish and have great successes, and you can build businesses and gain a lot of money, gain a lot of followers if you're worldly wise. It extends as far as the world does, and it's worth as, as much as the world is. And so to be wise in the world means one can excel in many worldly endeavors. And most people who desire worldly wisdom desire only worldly wisdom. That's the interesting part of wisdom, is that you want wisdom, but you stop short of the greater wisdom. Because worldly wisdom is actually, if you don't have heavenly wisdom, ironically, great foolishness. If you only have worldly wisdom and you have no heavenly, godly wisdom, it's actually, ironically, great foolishness. Because there is a much better and greater wisdom with a much greater impact that you and I can strive for. So the wise person would say, worldly wisdom isn't bad. I would like some of that, but I would like to get the actual better, greater wisdom, which is heavenly, godly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, on the other hand, is based on what man can understand through knowing God. Knowing God and his will. That's how one attains godly wisdom. Unlike worldly wisdom, godly wisdom is worth as much as eternity is. It extends as far as eternity does. How far is that? I don't know. I don't know how far eternity extends. I don't know how much eternity is worth, but godly wisdom is worth as much as whatever that is. Now, think about that. Just in that little synopsis of what those two wisdoms are, which one would you rather have? Obviously, if you understand that, you would go, I'd much rather have godly wisdom. If one is worth far much, or excuse me, if one is worth far more than the other and one extends further than the other one, that's the one that I want. Unlike worldly wisdom that extends only as far as the world does and you can achieve a lot of great things in the world, godly wisdom means you can make an eternal impact for the name and glory of God. You can impact this world, this time, this age, for the name and the glory of God simply by having and using the wisdom of God. Those who desire godly wisdom are the wisest of the wise. You can have wisdom on earth, and someone who is godly wise, anyone who is godly wise, will excel those who are only worldly wise because heavenly wisdom is that much greater. That makes sense, right? And once... one. Once someone tastes of the wisdom of God, it's hard to satisfy them with worldly wisdom alone. And hopefully you know what that experience is like. You've tasted of the wisdom of God, and now the wisdom of man doesn't look that great. I don't know if the first time you remember you tasted bacon, right? Bacon's one of those things that once you taste it, you just you don't go back to anything worse. I have to have bacon now with my eggs. Um, for me, it's this uh, hazelnut coffee that I drink. I experienced this uh, New England hazelnut coffee. We bought it in the store once, and it is phenomenal. It's the best coffee I've ever had, and now I, I can't not have it. I can't go back to just regular Folgers coffee and call me spoiled or whatever, but it's just so much better than regular coffee. Well, that's a silly illustration, but godly wisdom is so much greater than worldly wisdom that once you have it and once you taste of it, you can't go back. You can't not have it. Worldly wisdom and godly wisdom produce very different character traits in someone. If someone is worldly wise alone, and you'll agree with me, they are typically proud, haughty, 
greedy, and unteachable people. Once someone attains worldly wisdom, the hierarchy of worldly wisdom, they are generally very proud, haughty, greedy, and unteachable. On the contrary, though, if someone attains godly wisdom, they're generally meek, humble, content, loving, and very teachable people. And that's easy for me to say, but I want you to find that from Scripture. If you have your Bibles, go to James chapter 3. It's also going to be on the screen. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18 says this. Give me a moment to turn there. James 3, 13 to 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you notice how contrasted worldly wisdom and godly wisdom are, even in that one passage? Worldly wisdom leads to evil things. You would say, well, worldly wisdom can't be bad. On its own, no, it's not. There's nothing wrong with worldly wisdom. The problem is, is what does it often lead to in the heart of those who attain worldly wisdom? It leads to evil, selfish, cruel, proud things. Versus the person that gets the wisdom that comes down from above. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy. It's sincere. It's impartial. It's loving. Again, which wisdom do you want? Do you want the wisdom that makes you a worse person? Or one that makes you like God? Makes you a better person? And even scripture says that knowledge puffs up. You've heard that before, right? Knowledge puffs up. And maybe you've known that person or you've been that person. That you attained a lot of worldly wisdom and you found yourself or found someone else getting prideful with worldly wisdom. But godly wisdom has very different character traits. So that's what worldly wisdom is. Excuse me, that's what wisdom is, both worldly and godly. Number two is why is godly wisdom so crucial? We understand one is more valuable. But why is godly wisdom so crucial for us to have in our lives? See, here's what's interesting about Scripture. You and I were created, and sometimes I find myself not thinking enough about this, but you and I were created to know God, to know his will, and his glory. There was this old um, Twilight Zone. I don't know if you guys have ever watched those. This old Twilight Zone where... In this one episode, these five characters find themselves somewhere. And they don't know how they got there. They don't know what brought them there. They don't know how to get out. And the entire, series, the entire episode is them trying to explore how did we get here? What's our purpose? How do we get out of here? And what's just so interesting, and I won't spoil it for you, but if, if you ever can see that episode, it's really good. I think it's called Five People Trapped or something like that. But the entire episode is them exploring how did we get here? And what I find so sad about us sometimes is that we just accept our reality with asking question, without asking questions like that, going, why am I here? What brought me here? What's my purpose? Where am I going? Guys, those are good questions. Those questions can lead us to answering 
this question, I'm here to know God. I'm here to do his will. I'm here to accomplish his glory. As an example, I'm going to use a little illustration here, okay? You see, God made us very large, and this is the largest I could find, so humor me. God made us very large vessels or very deep souls, okay? We're deep. I mean, God created us to know him. Imagine that. Imagine how complex and deep our mind, heart, and soul must be if we can know God. I mean, we must be deep, large vessels. And you'll have to humor me and act like this is a large vessel, okay? But what's common is we, we take our large vessels, we take our deep souls, and we try to fill them. And it's communion week, so I found this quite easy to find little containers like this. But we try to fill it with worldly things, worldly wisdom, worldly endeavors, okay? So I have five different things that people often try to say, this is the greatest thing that we can attain, okay? Number one, education. You can get to the brim of education in your life by going to the greatest school, sitting under the greatest teachers. I don't know if you could tell there, but this water is literally at the brim. It's almost spilling onto my finger. This is filled to the brim, okay? Education. Pour that into your deep soul. I don't know if you could tell. There is water in there, but very, very little. Okay, here's another one. Success. Hoping I don't spill these. So success. If you can get to the greatest success in your job or the greatest job in the world, then you can have it filled to the brim with success. You pour that in your very deep soul. Okay, there's number two. Number three, money. Get a lot of money and you're happy, right? Money equals happiness, maybe, maybe not. But you can get the most money you can attain here in this world. Get it to the brim. Get it as high as you possibly can. People have. Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs. Get as much money as you can. Pour that in your very deep soul. Okay? Uh, number four, we have two more. Number four, relationships. Get the best relationship you can on this earth. Have the best family and make the most memories you possibly can and fill that right to the brim and put it in your very deep soul. And we got one more, at least big one that I could think of, which is hobbies or pleasure or put anything there and fill that up as much as you possibly can with all the joy and satisfaction you can find on the earth and you fill that into your very deep soul and vessel. Now, I want you to look at this. I don't know if you're a pessimistic or an optimistic person, but either way, that's not very full, is it? There's a lot of container left over. And that's an illustration for what's going on, okay? God made us very deep vessels, very large vessels. And we're trying to fill those very large vessels with very insufficient treasures and wisdom that were never supposed to fill us. Never supposed to satisfy us. And guess what happens when you fill your vessel with the things of the world and not with the things of God? What do you think you feel like? You feel empty. You feel empty because you are mostly empty. You were created, every single one of us was created to know God. We can go all the way up to here. But sadly, we're filling it with things of the world and we're way down here. It's foolish. It's foolishness. Because we don't have to live that way. God created us very large vessels to fill with something very large, knowing God. And what we have on this earth is we have man always striving for knowledge, but never satisfied with it. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a mouse or a gerbil on one of those stationary wheels going nowhere. <laughs> Just running and running and running and running and running. That's man with worldly wisdom alone. They're empty. They're going nowhere. They're wasting their lives because they don't know God, his will, and his glory. And we can do better than that, can't we? We can do better than that. 
We don't have to feel empty. We don't have to feel the void that the world does. Because the world does. If you've ever talked to someone or seen an interview of someone who was at the top of the ladder, just several years ago I saw an interview with Tom Brady. And Tom Brady at that time only had three Super Bowl rings. Only three. Now he has six. But at the time, the interviewer was interviewing Tom Brady, saying, Tom Brady, you're at the top of the ladder. You got the Super Bowl rings. You got the supermodel wife. You got all the money in the world. What's it like being at the top, Tom Brady? And Tom Brady actually said out of his own mouth, I feel like I'm missing out on something. It's not as great up here as you would expect. There has to be more than this. And the interviewer actually asked Tom Brady, well, what is it? What are you missing out on? He goes, I wish I knew. That's what he said. I wish I knew. Because he's at the top of the ladder. He filled his vessel with all the things the world has to the brim, and he's still empty. It's sad, isn't it? But we can do better than that. The problem for many people is that we feel like access to God and his wisdom is like a vitamin or a supplement. Maybe an enhancement of our own wisdom. If we can get worldly wisdom and then just put a little cherry on the top, then we'll have the best of both worlds, right? We'll have manly, worldly wisdom, and we'll have a little bit of knowing God, and that's the best reality. But sadly, our wisdom compared to God's wisdom is like a tall glass of water. Imagine if this was full to the brim, and you're going, well, that's a lot of water. I have filled this to the brim. Maybe that's a gallon, gallon and a half. I'm not quite sure. But that's a good amount of water. Except if you take this full vessel and you compare it to the water in the Pacific Ocean. Now is it full? Now is it a lot of water? No, sadly, it's not a lot of water at all. But if you don't look at the Pacific Ocean, you might consider that yourself, yourself is quite wise until you look at God. Because God's wisdom compared to man's, and this isn't even a great illustration, but it's like the Pacific Ocean compared to a gallon's worth of wisdom. When our glass is full of worldly wisdom, we feel quite wise. But when we take a long look at godly wisdom, we feel and realize how insufficient our wisdom is. And it says in 1 Corinthians 1.25, listen to this. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I'll say that again. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, I don't want you to take that too literally, okay? It's not calling God foolish at all or saying he has any weakness. It's basically saying if God had any deficiencies whatsoever, they would far outrank the greatest qualities of man because that's how great our God is. He far surpasses us to a level that we cannot understand. You take the highest things of man and you put them next to the lowest things of God and there's still a laughable distance between the two. See, we have to understand that without the wisdom of God, we're educated fools at best. In comparison to our own species, we can seem quite wise and educated beings, but when we are compared to what God knows and who God is, we're practically brain dead. Unless we get the wisdom of God. To take that a step further, God has called each of us, every one of us, to do something enormous. This is our purpose to carry on the work of Christ upon the earth. Do you know that you're calling as a Christian? You ever have to fill big shoes? You ever have to try to step into someone who before you was very good at what they did? All my life, I've been trying to fill the shoes of this guy right here. I can't get away from your shoes. My dad, literally and figuratively, has left me enormous shoes to fill. 
because my dad is a great man. He is a great legacy upon this earth. And I find that difficult as a walker to live up to the legacy of my dad. Those are big, big shoes to fill. But every Christian is called to carry on the work of Christ upon the earth. Wow. Can you imagine living out that calling without God's wisdom? Can you imagine doing the work of Christ on your own talents, your own wisdom? Sadly, many Christians are relying upon their own logic or education or skill sets to build churches and advance the name and the glory of God. And it makes sense, if so, why Christianity seems to make a marginal impact upon the world. Because it's left up to whatever man can do. But what if we all leaned heavily upon the wisdom of God? What if we leaned heavily upon God's wisdom and not our own credentials? Can you imagine what the church and its pastors would be capable of when girded with wisdom from God? When are we finally going to learn that it cannot be, we cannot get by without the wisdom of God? Foolishness and living for vanity is the result of being without God's wisdom. In John 15, 5, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, it says, Jesus speaking, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Why is godly wisdom so crucial? Because without it, we accomplish nothing. And we have a task before us to carry on the work of Christ that is enormous. How are we going to accomplish that without godly wisdom? The answer is we cannot. We will not. We will be a mouse or a gerbil running on a stationary wheel, going nowhere, accomplishing nothing. So that's why godly wisdom is so crucial. Number three, how does one get godly wisdom? How does one get it? Okay, if you want it and you understand how valuable it is, how crucial it is, how do you get godly wisdom? Uh, in the job that I had before pastor, I was a missionary and I was also an administrative assistant in an office for a university, okay? And this university was struggling financially. And one of their strategies was to let go of some of the people that they considered non-essential to right the ship. And uh, I don't know if that was right or wrong. I'm just saying this is what it was. And so they decided to let go of some people, some really big people, but also they decided to let go of some tech people, people that work with technology, people that are there to help the tech issues. They let all those people go except for one guy. And uh, we had to carry on our jobs without any tech support whatsoever. I don't know if you've ever been in a job like that where there's no tech support, but when you're working, every single person working on a computer all day long with printers and modems and fax machines and there's no tech help, how do you think that goes? It doesn't go well. What happened at this job is we had one tech guy left, and he was running all over the campus because he was only one guy doing so many jobs, and everyone was left without tech help. So in my department, I was the wisest person as far as tech goes, so I became the tech guy in my department. And I don't know a lot about tech, but I knew more than everybody else. So I was the guy that everybody called to say, hey, come in here. My, my computer has some great error message, or I can't get this thing to print. Todd, come on in here and help me. And uh, an office without tech help runs as you'd expect it to. When it runs into problems, it doesn't do a lot of work. And in fact, I remember a lot of afternoons, us not doing a lot of work, just sitting on our hands because our computers wouldn't turn on, or the fax wouldn't work, or the printer wasn't working. And we needed all of those things to function as an office. How does one get by with godly wisdom? 
or how, excuse me, the question is, how does one get godly wisdom? Listen to what it says in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Since heavenly wisdom comes purely from God, it can only be discovered and gained through God. That makes sense. If it comes from God, the only place you can find the godly wisdom is through God himself. Worldly wisdom can be gained by studying the universe, studying the universe and its intricacies, but godly wisdom must and be only gained by studying and knowing God himself. Scripture teaches us that we were broken by sin, and therefore we are incapable of gaining God's wisdom on our own. Sin broke us. Just like viruses and things like that break computers, sin broke us. We were not functioning the way we were designed. And therefore, we were not, not only not wanting wisdom, we were not even going to God for that wisdom. We didn't even know where to find wisdom. And God's wisdom, therefore, must be given to us as a gift from God's grace, otherwise we won't have it. If God does not bestow his wisdom upon us, not one person will ever receive it. As as Proverbs, the book teaches us, to gain godly wisdom, we must first gain godly fear. Godly fear. If you remember from last week, Pastor Mel's message on Ecclesiastes, after 12 chapters of King Solomon telling us that living for all of the worldly pursuits is vanity upon vanity, it's like striving and chasing after the wind, he says, the whole duty of man at the end of the book is to fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. And they're in order. Keep his commandments is number two. Number one is fear God. Understand who God is. Understand who you are before God. Make the conscious decision to go to God for cleansing and wisdom so that you can obey his commandments. That's the whole duty of man according to King Solomon. See, no one will seek after knowing God until they realize who God is and who they are before God. Once you understand that you're in desperate need of mercy then you go to God. But until then, you don't go to God. No one does. Until you understand who he is, what you deserve, what he's able to give you, none of us go to God. So humility is actually the means to gaining godly wisdom. You must first humble yourself. Listen to what it says in James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, making wisdom a part of God's grace. If you want wisdom from God, humble yourself. Realize what you're in need of. Realize who he is, what he's able to give you. And we just learned that the fear of the Lord is the means to gaining knowledge. So I think the equation is this. In order to humble yourself, you first must fear the Lord. You first must understand who he is. You first must understand your sinfulness, because that will humble you. Fear of the Lord will humble you, and that humbleness, that humility, will allow you to get the grace and the wisdom of God. Because no one who's proud gets it. According to James 4, 6, God actually opposes the proud. He doesn't neglect the proud. He opposes the proud. He's against the proud. If you want God's wisdom, humble yourself, fear the Lord, and God will give it to you as a part of his grace 
His great grace from above. If a person can look at God with eyes of faith and realize that they're actually deserving of, of punishment for their sin, then they're on the right track to humility and godly wisdom. However, if we look at God as if we deserve good things from God, good treatment from God, and that God must accept us no matter how wretched we are, we're actually on the pathway to having God oppose us. Because we believe we deserve his grace. We believe we deserve his good gifts. And that's actually the pathway to God opposing you. Because no one who's proud, no one who doesn't understand who they are before God receives his grace. It's only those who understand, I'm wretched. Without you, God, I'm miserable. Without you, God, I'm capable of nothing. Without you, God, I'm on a fast track to destruction. God, give me your grace. God, give me your wisdom. And that's the great thing about our God is he actually delights in giving us his mercy. Do you know that? God delights in giving us his mercy, his grace, and his wisdom, but he will not bestow his most precious gifts on those who don't truly believe and do not seek him out in order to please him. And also, wisdom is not just given to every Christian in endless quantities. It's not. The way God's system works is that we must first see our insufficiencies and our own desperate need for God's help. Because when we do, we will seek God out for that help and that wisdom, and he will be glorified, and he will give us the grace to accomplish our duties. And remember what our task is. Carry on the work of Jesus. That's your task today. That's my task today. Continue the work that Jesus started upon this earth. Be his ambassadors. Continue his work. And in order to do that, you need godly wisdom. Listen to what it says in James 1. If you have your Bibles, go to James 1 and listen to verses 5 to 8. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. How do you get wisdom? You get it from God directly in humility, fear, and a desire to please him. How do you get godly wisdom? You get it from God directly in humility, fear, and a desire to please him. If you understand how great godly wisdom is, how necessary godly wisdom is, now you know how to get it. Get it, to, get it from God directly through humility, fear, and a desire to please him. That's question number three. Question number four is how does one use godly wisdom? How does one use godly wisdom? I'm going to ask my son Haddon to come up here for an illustration. Haddon, come on up here, buddy. Haddon, I need a piece of paper to write something down. Do you happen, oh, do you happen to have a piece of paper you could give me? Come over here, Haddon. I just need one piece of paper. Rip that off. Use those muscles. Thanks, buddy. Boink. Uh, Haddon, I still need a piece of paper to write something down. Can I have a piece of paper? Come over here so the camera can see you. I need a piece of paper to write something down. Thanks, buddy. Boink. Uh, Haddon, still need a piece of paper to write something down. Can I have one more? Rip it off, buddy. I need a piece of paper to write something down. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate it. Boink. Haddon. Still need a piece of paper, buddy. Can I have a piece of paper to write some? Why? Did he throw it at me? My son told me no. 
I can't have a piece of paper? Okay, thanks, Hatton. Sit down. Yeah, we practice that a little bit. He's not hurt, I promise. The question is, how does one use godly wisdom? This little illustration, even though it's dumb, teaches us something. Because every gift from God comes with a responsibility. Did you know that? Every gift from God that God gives us comes with a responsibility and a stewardship attached to it. Just like anything we can get from God, wisdom can be perverted, can it not? And we can be, it can be used for, godly wisdom can be used for purposes it was never intended for. Such as pride, greed, and selfishness. See, but godly wisdom was given, is given to us for godly purposes, such as glorifying the great name of God, loving our neighbors, and fighting against the powers of the evil one. In Acts, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts of the Apostles. In Acts, the apostles are doing these amazing works and wonders. Okay, these guys, most of them are fishermen, uneducated men. They're doing these amazing works, and everybody's marveling, going, wow, how are they able to do this? And in one of the chapters is this guy called Simon the Sorcerer. And Simon the Sorcerer is a guy who uses illusions to make money, pretending to be someone of great power. And so he's seen the apostles using the Spirit of God to accomplish great works. And he's seen it with his own eyes going, now that's a great trick. Man, I want to do what those guys are able to do. So he actually goes up to the apostles and says, hey guys, how can I get some of that Holy Spirit? Why, Simon? Why do you want it? I want to show people how great I am. I want to get some money. I want to get, I want to, I want to get rich. Do you think Simon the sorcerer got the Spirit of God to get rich with? Is the Spirit of God given to man for any purposes whatsoever? No. The Spirit of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God is given for the purposes of God. Even though it was a dim illustration, I kept throwing the pieces of paper at my son, and even my son refused to give me another piece of paper. Because I was using it improperly. I wanted to write something down, and I kept throwing it at him. Godly wisdom was given us, given to us for the glorifying of the great name of our Lord, for loving our neighbors, and for fighting against the powers of this evil age. That's what godly wisdom is for. Or let's imagine that I kept giving my children whatever toy they asked for. Now, you might think that's a great idea, Haddon. My children giving whatever toy they asked for, whenever they asked for it. And then I kept repeatedly finding my children breaking the toys and using those toys to hurt their siblings with, which has happened. Now, if, if I can repeatedly saw that happening, would it be wise for me as a father to continue to give my children whatever toys they ask for or to hold those things back until I believe they could use them properly? Haddon, what do you think? Should I give you no matter what you ask for, any toy you ask for, as long as if you keep hurting your brothers and sisters with them, would that be a good idea? No. Stephen had knows. That's not a good idea. Or how about the internet? Let's say the internet. Do you think it would be wise for a parent to give their child complete, unparented, let's say, let's say I can use that word, uh, no parental guidance over the internet whatsoever, just full access to the internet? Would that be a good and wise thing for a parent to do? See, if the internet is not used properly, if toys are not used properly, people can actually get hurt. And a parent, a person who is in charge of giving those things to their children, would use wisdom in order to say, now is not the proper time to give this to you. This is not the proper medium for you to have this. You are not using it properly. I'm going to actually hold back the gift from you until you're able and responsible to handle it better. 
But see, on the contrary, if someone is given morsels of truth from God and from the Lord, and he sees that person treasuring those riches, treasuring that wisdom, utilizing that wisdom for the purposes it was intended for, the wisest thing God can actually do at that point is to lavish that soul with more grace and more wisdom so they can accomplish more good on the earth for his name and his glory. That's what's called investing. Wouldn't that be a good investment from God if he saw his people treasuring his gifts, utilizing his gifts for his purposes, and saying, I should give them even more. More opportunities, more grace, more wisdom, more treasures to use for my purposes. See, the way to use godly wisdom is to find out what God delights in. What he commands us to do and then make that our absolute determination to accomplish it with the tools that he's given us. How does one use godly wisdom? Find out what God wants. Go and get the tools necessary and then make it every resolve and every discipline to accomplish those things for his glory. See, God is the wisest being of all. When he uses his grace and mercy and power, he does it with discernment. So as to not waste his precious gifts on those who are living in vanity. Because if you continue to pour grace and mercy and wisdom upon people who are living in sin, all they do is hurt you more. All they do is hurt themselves more. All they do is hurt others more. That would not be good for God to do that. So God will not continue to pour grace on those souls who refuse to use it properly. Or it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So wisdom boils down to first hearing the truth, hearing God's truth, and then putting that truth into action and obedience for the accomplishing of God's will. Godly wisdom was given purely for the accomplishing of his will and his glory. And the way we will prove to God that we are about his will and glory is by building our entire lives upon who? Jesus. The way we prove to God that we are completely sold out and have bought into his will and his glory is by building our entire lives upon his son. The question is, how will we treat Jesus? All of that boils down to this one question. How will we treat Jesus? That question determines how much wisdom we get from God and how wise someone truly is. How will we treat Jesus? Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 24 27 to 27. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his, built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Souls that are not being obedient to Jesus are not wise. Can I say that again? Souls that are not being obedient to Jesus are not wise. It's a poor, foolish investment of the time we have upon this earth. To not be obedient, to not please the Lord Jesus, would actually be wasting our lives and would be wasting the grace of God. 
before we get to question number five, consider what can be accomplished upon this earth with godlike wisdom. If you had wisdom from above in your possession, what could be accomplished? I just have a few examples of what was accomplished with godlike wisdom in the scriptures. Let's start with the Apostle Peter. In Acts, the Apostle Peter, who started as a fisherman, preached a sermon. And in one sermon on one day, 3,000 souls came to Christ. In one sermon, Peter preached the gospel, and 3,000 souls were won to Christ from a fisherman. Why? Because he had the wisdom of God. The Apostle Paul won tens of thousands of souls to the Lord amidst persecution and intense daily efforts to silence him. Think about that. Souls kept being won to the Lord thousands by thousands by thousands. And every single day, the question is, how do we stop Paul and how do we silence Paul? And souls kept being won to the Lord. How? Godly wisdom. The Lord Jesus confounded the wisdom of the Pharisees and the scribes, the most learned people on the earth. Jesus confounded these guys. Jesus had these guys scratching their heads because of the wisdom of God. His wisdom far surpassed theirs, and they didn't know how to respond to it. In the wilderness, Jesus outsmarted and resisted the devil himself after being without food for 40 days in a row. He was physically very, very weak, but he resisted the devil. How? With the wisdom of God. These uneducated fishermen that I referenced started in advance the greatest movement that ever existed, the Church of Jesus Christ. How did they do it? With the wisdom of God. And today, Christians everywhere are defeating anger, sexual perversions, and idolatry against the vicious attacks of the devil. How are they doing it? With the wisdom of God. What can be accomplished with God-like wisdom? The answer is anything, everything. Question number five, before we close, how do we stay wise in the world while living in the sin-cursed place? How do we stay Godly, wise. Does anyone ever get tired of things you do every day, like little things like brushing your teeth? Do you ever get tired of that? Do you ever wish you could just stop? You know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to brush my teeth one more time today, and I'm done. I'm done. 40 years of brushing my teeth should be enough, right? Yes or no? No? Do I have to keep brushing my teeth? What about eating? Anyone else frustrated at trying to figure out what to eat every day of your life? That is a process. What should we eat for lunch? What should we eat for dinner? Guys, I'm fed up. Pun intended. I'm fed up. I'm going to eat one more time. Today, I'm going to eat. I'm going to talk to Janine. What should we have for lunch? I'm going to figure out one more time, and I'm done. I'm not going to eat ever again. I'm serious. I've had 40 years of eating. I should, be, I should have enough, right, to sustain me for the rest of my life. Is that a dumb question? Of course it's a dumb question. Quite simply, if you want to stay wise, continue to pursue godly wisdom. Without a constant pursuit of wisdom from God, our minds are going to go stale. We're going to be content with the wisdom of the world alone. 
I want you to consider what are you like when you're not in God's word for an extended amount of time? What are you like? I can tell you what I'm like. When I'm not in God's word for an extended amount of time, that's a bad place to be. And I've known a lot. I've learned a lot over the course of my Christian journey. If I'm not in the word of God, it doesn't take long for my mind to go stale and for myself to start continuing, or excuse me, to entertain gross error and gross sin. It doesn't take long. See, godly wisdom is the fountain that we must constantly drink of, which if nourished by that wisdom, it will also serve as a tonic against the perversions of the devil. Godly wisdom is such a tool and such a gift from God. It will nourish us and it will serve as a tonic against the perversions of the devil at the same time. Proverbs 3, if you have your Bibles, turn there quickly. If not, it's going to be on the screen. Pastor Mel read from Proverbs already, but I want to read this passage from Proverbs chapter 3. Listen to what it says, starting in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and the sight of man. Trust In the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Stay pursuing godly wisdom. Therefore, stay close to the Lord. Stay close to Jesus. Without him, we have no wisdom. Without him, we cannot be wise. Without him, we cannot accomplish anything for the Lord. Stay close to Jesus. Without a clear understanding of true godly wisdom from the word of God, what are we capable of? We're capable of heinous things. We're actually capable of calling foolishness wisdom. We'll be blind and we won't even know we're blind. Now, the question last week was, was King Solomon wise or foolish? I'm confused because King Solomon was the wisest man who lived upon the earth, at least according to the world. And in 90, 95% of Ecclesiastes, he's telling us how not to live. And in the last portion, he's telling us how to live. And it's biblical. It's accurate. That is the word of God, and it's right. Ecclesiastes is right. But the question is, was King Solomon wise or foolish? He didn't live according to his own instruction. He didn't live according to the wisdom of God. Was he wise or was he foolish? He's not wise. Therefore, he must be foolish because King Solomon had a fountain. And he never used it. He continued to rely on his own merits, his own understanding, his own skill sets. And he neglected the commandments of the Lord. Guys, as a pastor, I need to say this carefully, but I feel like I need to say it. And I don't know how long you spend on this, but be careful of social media. Be careful of the media. Be careful how much time you spend there. Social media has a few redeemable qualities. It does. But if you spend too much time there, it's like waiting in a pool of foolishness. If you linger and loiter in the world's wisdom too long, you'll start to consider that the only wisdom. 
And as a pastor, I want to encourage you to linger and loiter here. Here. This is the source. This is the fountain of all godly wisdom. It will yield a dividend of godly wisdom every single time you get into it. If we are able to speak and act like the Lord, then we are wise regardless of what the world calls us. Because God would call us wise. If we go to his fountain and drink from his fountain and use his gifts properly and advance his name and obey his commandments, God would say, you are wise. The God of the universe is the only true source of wisdom. If we think we can be distant from him and remain wise, we've already bought into the foolish thinking and trap of the devil. And we may never come out of it. Here's our application, application very simply today. We brought him up already, but Jesus is the practical picture of God's wisdom. He is the practical picture of God's wisdom that came to this earth. One of the greatest names of Jesus is the name Emmanuel, because the name means God with us. We didn't have to go up, because God came down. And he said, I am here to guide you and to teach you and to show you. Follow me. We don't have to search out space or the cosmos. The Son of God came to us. Listen to him. I'm going to read a few passages here in a row. Don't mind turning there. Just listen to what it says. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, listen to what it says about our Lord Jesus. One of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's your Lord Jesus. One more from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Or you could say God gave wisdom to us by his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. To make this one application today, guys, Jesus is the wisdom of God.
How do you know wisdom? How do you get wisdom? How do you keep wisdom? Stay close to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. If you do so, you will understand godly wisdom. You will not be satisfied with the wisdom of the world. It's fool's gold. If you stay close to Jesus, you will not be satisfied with the wisdom of the world. It's nothing to you. If you stay close to Jesus, you will fear the Lord. You will humble yourself, and then you will ask for the wisdom of God. If you stay close to Jesus, you will place yourself at his feet daily. You will listen to him. You will learn from him. If you stay close to Jesus Christ, you will be ready to use godly wisdom appropriately according to the commandments of God. If you stay close to Jesus, you will strive to attain more and more godly wisdom so you don't become stale or sinful in this life. We are kept by the wisdom that comes down from above. Do you know that? The only reason we continue and are sustained in this life is by godly wisdom. The writer of Proverbs said this. He said, if you want wisdom, get wisdom. I love it. I love how simple it is. If you want wisdom, get wisdom. Go to the source of all wisdom. Listen to this last passage from Proverbs 3, and then we're going to pray. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain of her is better than silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do you want the wisdom of God? Do you want to live for his purposes and accomplish his will? Find Jesus. Follow Jesus. And never leave Jesus. Can we pray? Father, thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the wisdom that you've taught us today. We would not know this unless you gave it to us, and we thank you for giving it to us. But Father, we have a responsibility now to learn from this and to put it into practice or to squander it, to go back to the wisdom of the world, to run in place in a stationary wheel going nowhere, accomplish nothing for your will, stand before you someday with our arms empty. Father, help us to learn and listen. Help us to remember Jesus. It's a great day to remember Jesus. We had communion. To remember what a wealth, what a value it is to stay, stay close to him, to follow him, to learn from him, to listen to him, to follow him, to obey him, to praise him, to thank him. Help us understand the great gift of godly wisdom today. To chase it, to strive for it, to discipline ourselves for it, and then to use it properly according to your will and your commandments. Build Wyoming Valley Church for your own name's sake. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.